Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Hello, I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. Uh, coming up today with the window open, Adam Crafton and David Ornstein are with us to discuss some of the latest transfer news. Aston Villa are confident of signing Everton's Luca Dina after picking up Coutinho on loan. Newcastle are targeting further signings ahead of their uh, crunch relegation showdown with Watford. And the Athletics' Jack Pitt-Brook will join us later uh, to tell us what has gone wrong at Tottenham for record signing Tangi Ndombele, who wants to leave the club in January. So as usual, probably not a, a huge amount to be spent in this January transfer window at the uh, time of recording, though it looks like Aston Villa could be one of the busiest uh, Premier League clubs. They've uh, taken Philippe Coutinho from Barcelona on loan uh, and they're looking to do other deals as well. And we should say, David, you know, to be fair, before we talk about the influence of Gerard, to be fair to Villa, they have been active in a lot of transfer windows over recent years. Yeah, they have. They've got an extremely ambitious project under their owners, the American Wes Edens and the Egyptian Nasef Sawiris. And of course, chief executive there is Christian Perslow and their Danish uh, technical director, Johan Langer. So they supported Dean Smith. You can argue to what degree, but a fair amount of money was spent, most notably in the summer transfer window to replace Jack Grealish. They bought in a number of attackers, Danny Ings, Leon Bailey, Emi Buendia and you know, they want to push for a place in Europe. They're going to back whoever's in charge to secure that. They seem to have ramped it up under Steven Gerrard, I think it's fair to say. Coming into the window, I was hearing noises that Gerrard was extremely excited about the sort of targets they were going for. And early indications would suggest with some justification because pulling off the Coutinho deal, if he's still got what we've seen in him before and he's only I think 29 years old and if they get somebody like Luca Dina and we're still only early in the month there could be more if needed they missed out on a central midfielder last summer James Ward-Prowse was the one they went for most heavily so that's a gap that Aston Villa fans feel needs to be filled they've got admiration for I think the likes of Glenn Kamara from Rangers who Gerard will know closely Joe Rebo from up there has been mentioned as well Greg Evans our colleague on The Athletic I think has done a sensible transfers piece that you can go and check out so yeah they're turning over pretty much every stone to be very, very competitive. And Gerard is at the centre of all of that. Is the Coutinho transfer in particular, Adam, do you think, and David can come in on this as well, is that the example of why so many clubs want a, in inverted commas, name as manager? Possibly. I mean, it is incredible when you think, I mean, imagine being told a few years ago that, Philippe Coutinho would be leaving Barcelona 
and taking some sort of wage reduction to join Aston Villa. Like, I mean, it's, it's like a crazy situation compared to a couple of years ago. I think part of it is just the changing dynamics of European football. But yeah, there is certainly nine to 10 names, aren't there, from the sort of past 15 years of playing football that could do that kind of deal. The interesting dynamic for Gerard and Coutinho is he's never coached him before. He's been, a, he's been a player, he's been his captain. I think it's a different thing completely to be a, a player's manager that, that you've played with. And it was interesting, I was listening to some, uh, reading the interview Wayne Rooney did with Alan Shearer last week, where he was talking about there was a few players who, as soon as he became manager after being a player at Derby, he saw they couldn't deal with the fact he was the manager. Now, I'm not saying that's Coutinho and Gerard dynamic at all, but it, it, is a, it must be something that Gerard thinks about before going to sign someone that he used to play with. David? Yeah, I think the Villa situation is really interesting because they're trying to upset the apple cart at the top. They believe that they can breach the traditional, if you call it that, big six, who seem pretty fragmented at the moment. And you'd say that they've got a fair chance of doing so. I know they sacked Dean Smith when they were more towards the other end of the league, but they've catapulted up under Gerrard. Their owners are extremely wealthy. Uh, Eden's American and Sawiris Egyptian based in London, Eden's based in the States and they are very active and involved and therefore players like Coutinho I guess won't be a a massive surprise for them. They're, They're going for big talent, good opportunities in the market. They're not afraid of being quite aggressive and bullish. They got Buendia done very early from Norwich when Arsenal and a couple of others were said to be in. They moved behind the scenes extremely quickly to do the Danny Ings deal. Hasn't worked out quite as they would have hoped so far. He hasn't gelled too well with Ollie Watkins and has had a couple of injuries too. And I think they're going to keep pushing in in that way to support Gerard. On Adam's point, we haven't seen Gerard full stop in terms of how he's going to cope in the Premier League with new signings. And Coutinho, we need to see, has he, you know, has he got the legs, as they say? Has he still got the sort of ability to light up a game like he did at Liverpool? Has he got the sort of teammates around him? It's quite interesting. I think a few clubs have been looking at somebody like Douglas Luiz, but He's the sort of player that I think Villa want to keep to help support somebody like Coutinho to fulfil his potential. I do think that relationship, Adam, is going to be fascinating going from teammate to coach, manager, and you know it won't always be easy. So that changes the dynamic. But Gerard is at the centre of these negotiations. He's at the fulcrum. He's the key influence in bringing Coutinho to Villa Park and he uh, sounds to me like he's having a similar impact with Luca Dina as well so a key dynamic in all of this. Villa I know they took big money in the summer and they spent but they, they actually came out of it with a profit of around, it was around 20 million pound and I think it was it the first year they got back into the Premier League they spent something like 140 million on players like Tyrone Mings and Matt Target, Douglas Louise at the time so I think Villa have probably had a bit of cash in their back pocket from the summer. Part of me wonders, were they thinking, let's see how Dean Smith goes and maybe think, you know, let's give the next manager the real sort of backing of these sort of more elevated names. But it's definitely an interesting project, but they're one of several, aren't they? Trying to go from being mid-table to European football and it's really hard. Even when you get there, it's really hard. Look at Spurs, right? You, You think you've cracked it and then you're out again. So I think for Villa fans, it's just a case of let's just hope these guys 
don't become bored of trying or, you know, and hope they've spent it better than Everton have, for example. Villa seem to me, if they get this right, I don't know what you're hearing from talking to other clubs or agents or players, whether they could disrupt virtually every part of the table if they are... If they are, forget, forget Liverpool, City and Chelsea, move them out of the way. But for those clubs thinking they can get the remaining Champions League place, if they're going for all going for the same players... De Villa suddenly become actually more attractive. They've got a great ground. They've got a great setup. They've got one of the greatest players of his generation starting out as a coach there. They've got a decent squad. They've got an amazing academy, as we've talked about on, on these podcasts before. So are they then providing competition for West Ham or Arsenal or the 90s theme park or whatever about whether players might want to go to Villa rather than go there? Everton and the, mid- the mid-table clubs, you think they could maybe get closer to that? Well, all of a sudden, do Villa have more money? Are they looking better? And even, and we're seeing it with a couple of these signings, Newcastle, who are desperately trying to get themselves out of the mire they're in at the bottom, they're losing targets if we're led to believe to Villa. So Villa could disrupt all, all parts of the table here. Well, also look at the summer. I mean, they made a they made a bid for Emil Smith Rowe, which you know yeah. some, more than one, more than one, right? Yeah. So some people mocked that at the time, but that struck me as okay. They fancy themselves a little bit here on not necessarily on Arsenal's level, but maybe on an economic level at a moment in time where they feel they could actually do something in a way that Arsenal might not be able to. And we'll see over time, you know, as Arsenal rebuild as well, how that develops you know I would still think if a player has an option to go to Arsenal Spurs Manchester United they would probably choose that over Aston Villa but I think after that you know even if I was looking in the summer and I have an offer from Newcastle and Villa for similar money I think just the stability of that Villa project feels a little bit more stable maybe than you know a little bit more of the unknown around Newcastle you know you'd put Villa ahead of sort of Wolves Everton leads, I would say, in terms of the scope of the ambition that, that they're showing as well. So, yeah, I mean, they're there to be the best of the rest. And the problem is the table at the moment doesn't say that. I think they hit a bit of a ground zero with relegation from the Premier League. And Sherwood, Lambert eras, Remy Gard was in there as well. It left a bit of a rotten feel around the stadium and in particular the training ground, Bodymore Heath, they needed a bit of a cultural reboot. Hate that phrase, but it's true. The facilities when you spend time around Villa are amazing. Villa Park in great shape. Actually, they're expanding and developing Villa Park. Greg Evans has mentioned in the past that they're bringing or potentially bringing a bit of an academy hub to that part of Birmingham so that uh, young players don't have to trek out to Bodymore Heath. I know they're doing a lot of work with the community community around the ground and the actual stadium itself, which is very impressive. Bodymore Heath too, they've developed uh, itself. And they sort of took some really impressive steps with a blank canvas, new ownership. So Mark, where you're talking there about a lot of the other clubs who were flitting between projects, managers, players, ownerships, Everton had the stadium in mind as well, having little flurries and, and then falling back. Villa's trajectory has been pretty consistent, actually. And that's why they acted so quickly when Dean Smith, just before the international break, unfortunately for him, was in a precarious position just outside the relegation zone. And bang, he was gone. Gerard was in. It was clinical. It was efficient. I would 
imagine they'll be quite clinical with other areas of the pitch as well. Their centre of defence uh, needs some work. You actually saw Dean Smith drop Tyrone Mings, England international, one of the, the leaders of the side. So even he was buying into the, the sort of pressure that is coming on the managers there to deliver what the owners and chief executives expect. The technical director, Johan, that we mentioned, he's very high, young, but very highly rated within the game. Their recruitment operations good. Their academy um, is sort of award win- trophy winning, their youth teams. And so I don't see them obviously challenging right at the very top where Manchester City, Liverpool, Chelsea, Manchester United surely will try and fight their way back into that. Um, Arsenal want to be there. Tottenham. Sorry, we've also not mentioned Leicester once Leic- in this conversation. Oh yeah, we haven't. Yeah, that's a very good point. David, you can't put you can't put Manchester United, Arsenal and Tottenham in the same bracket as Liverpool, Chelsea no, and Manchester City. But I do think those sort of five or six have still, as Adam kind of touched on before, have that capability the resources to push that little bit further. Whereas Aston Villa for now are probably just trying to install themselves just behind with the potential to go further. Where are Leicester in all that then? Actually, interestingly. They are the best of the rest, even though I just said Villa were the best of the Hmm. rest. Um, (laughs) Well, they are. I mean, based on what trophies, you know, who they've, the way they've done recruitment, the way they've been able to attract players, manager they've got, they probably are, aren't they, still ahead of a Villa in that way even if it feels a little bit sort of sluggish for them this season if Villa do add Luke and we're recording this before before Luca Dini is confirmed at, at Villa or, or if, if that is to be confirmed but if they if they do take Luca Dini and they've got Coutinho what does this say about the Newcastle project bearing in mind we we were led to believe they were in for both those players as well. Well, that's one of the biggest issues Newcastle are going to have. Uh, Anybody that they want in this particular window who has superior options is going to take one of them. So Luca Digne was somebody who Newcastle were very enthusiastic about and they hoped that his options might not um, materialise quite in the way that they probably will over the course of January. So Chelsea, for example, who have some sort of admiration for him, only want to bring a left-back in on loan or recall somebody like Emerson, whereas Everton need Dina to go permanently. They've already signed his replacement. Dina really needs to go permanently. And so Newcastle were hoping to take advantage of that. But as soon as Aston Villa come in with a permanent offer, most players are going to go there. They're really going to struggle for Sven Botman. He's their top target at central defence, but Lille intend to keep hold of him and are being pretty belligerent in not negotiating and not opening the door. They've got a Champions League campaign in the second half of the season, the knockout stage. They're going to encounter similar problems all over the park. They're they're putting out feelers for all manner of players, some of them realistic, some of them not so much. And Kieran Trippier was an amazing signing, I feel, because of current Spanish champion, Champions League player, went to the final of the Euros with England, great character. At a good age right now, he's obviously getting on the older side going forward. And they hoped that would open the doors and encourage other signings to come. But I think it's proving harder than they would expect. And yeah, when you're in the mix with the likes of Villa, who are paying decent transfer fees, decent salaries, and you're the bottom end of the Premier League, then it's not easy. I think it's also, there may be certain clubs... I don't know if this is the case for Lille, who might just be thinking, well, let's just see how long Newcastle are prepared to wait and how desperate they might become as the month goes on. You know, if you've only got Kieran Trippier in by 25th of January, 
then I imagine what you're prepared to pay for Sven Botman, particularly if you've not had a good result at home to Watford at the weekend, might start changing. And it's just kind of a risk reward in terms of, you know, okay, so that Newcastle could step away from Sven Botman and go and sign someone else, then you miss out on that transfer. But I think Lille would probably look at it and think, well, we've got a player who we know is really good here that we will be able to sell at some point if we really want to. There'll be a market for him, won't they, whenever they choose to sell. Exactly. So I think there's a lot of cards that aren't in Newcastle's hands at the moment. I still have the impression from the profile of player they're going for, they're probably doing it the right way, to be fair, this month. But it's, it's just not going to be easy because you're trying to sign a player who, who will be thinking I might not be in the Premier League next season. Are Arsenal going to sign a striker this window? They will if they can. And that will depend on a couple of things. The availability of the players that they want. So Dusan Vlavic is their key target for that position with very credible backup options. The likes of Alexander Izak at Real Sociedad and Dominic Calvert-Lewin has admirers at Arsenal. Vlavic is going to be really difficult. They're pushing hard or they have been pushing hard. I've not been made aware of any progress in recent days. Can they afford it? They have indicated that it's the sort of level that they're prepared to go to, which you must imagine um, can only be done with owner support. So why can't they do it then? Because this is going to come down to uh, the player and his agent. Does he prefer to go to Aston Villa? <laughs> yeah, there's, 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 there's always that risk, the Newcastle uh, <laughs> dilemma. Um, so Fiorentina are of the view that Vlavic doesn't want to go to Arsenal or to Tottenham and is holding out for somebody like Juventus maybe next summer. And the agent is said to be um, heavily involved in this situation, uh, as you would probably expect, but have a, a strong influence over the destination. And and from what I hear and the calls I make and the conversations I have, um, the Fiorentina-Arsenal bit will not be the problem. And so... You never know as the window goes on, perhaps um, with 18 months to go on his contract, Fiorentina could have an influence over him and his decision if there is an offer that comes in that's suitable for them. But yeah, the player's side is, is tricky. And then another factor in all of this is what's going to happen with Aubameyang because he appears not to be in Arteta's plans at the minute. Can they get him out on loan? But his salary is huge, so there may have to be some agreement reached if they do not integrate him. Just Aubameyang or Lacazette? No, and of then course. as well? Absolutely, Mark. So Lacazette's out of contract in the summer with no news on a uh, new deal. Um, we would expect him to be leaving as things stand. I think he wants a longer-term contract wherever he is next. And Arsenal are not prepared to give him that long. They've I'm sure looked into some sort of compromise, um, incentivized type deal. But if he has better offers from elsewhere, I'm sure he'll take them. And Arsenal need to decide if it's right to be hanging on, however well he's been playing. And Ketia is a player that Mikel Arteta has said he wants to keep, but he's turned down a new contract. Um, there is interest in him. Arsenal, as I reported in in my mailbag last week, have recently turned down an approach from Borussia Mönchengladbach in the Bundesliga. They would be among the clubs who I think, if they can't sign him permanently, would look to do a pre-contract agreement in January and take him as a free agent in the summer. And I think that's most likely the way he's going to go, a free 
agency in the summer. But let's see. And then, you know, they're supposed to be loaning out following Balogun with Middlesbrough at the front of the queue for him as well. So they're looking threadbare in attack as things stand, maybe even more so in central midfield. And that's the position that I think they'll look to recruit sooner rather than later. We're also coming up to the sixth anniversary of Newcastle attempting to sign Alex Lacazette from uh, Lyon into January 2016 when Steve McLaren was battling against relegation um, and they offered 25 million for Lacazette and didn't get him. Maybe they'll get him now. Today's also the anniversary I've just seen of the uh, of the of Manchester United signing Andy Cole, the so. former Arsenal player Andy Cole. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you David. Pleasure. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is a paid advertisement from Better Health Therapy Online. Do you ever get that feeling that you need to get something off your chest? We all carry around different stresses, big and small. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to release and discuss those thoughts and feelings and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a licensed therapist. And if things don't click, you can switch to someone new at any time with no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to this podcast, you can get 10% off your first month of online therapy by heading to betterhelp.com slash athleticfootball. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash athleticfootball with no spaces. Next on the pod, Tangi Ndombele is hopeful of a move away from Tottenham this month. Uh, the Athletic understands the midfielder was booed off uh, by some of the Spurs fans yesterday when substituted during the side's 3-1 FA Cup win over Morecambe. Uh, the Athletic's Jack Pitt-Brook covers Tottenham, joins us now. Uh, presumably, if he does get a move, he'll move quicker than he did when he was being substituted yesterday. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's... It's hard to think of a worse way to endear yourself to the fans than that. You know, the team is playing very badly, losing at home to Morecambe in the FA Cup. And Dombele has exhausted the patience, I think, of the entire Tottenham fan base at this point, as well as, what, five different Tottenham managers, if you include Ryan Mason. Uh, Mm -hmm. And the one thing that the fans want to see in that situation is players thinking... This isn't going very well. I, anything I can do to help improve the situation, I should do by just running off the pitch and letting Lucas Moura come on in my place. So yeah, that obviously has annoyed a lot of people and really fed into this idea that Ndombele 
doesn't really want to be there, doesn't want to make a success of his time at Tottenham as much as other people might want him to. How much is on him? How much is on the fact that his Tottenham career, I mean, you've just made it to five, did you say, if we include Ryan Mason? Yeah. So you you, you, you go through five managers in the sp- space of time that he's been there in two and a half years. So one school will thought will go, well, four or five of those managers who weren't sure about him, you know, if there's all, all that group that weren't sure about him, then they can't be wrong as a, as a group. There'll be others who go, well, give the guy a chance. He hasn't had a chance to settle because he's had this carousel of managers coming through. Yeah, so I've always been on the kind of and Dombele's sympathetic side of the argument on this. I've always, like, I love watching him play. I want him to do well. I want him to, I think he should be in the team more often than not. And it, you know, maybe it's not fair to say that all five managers have decided exactly the same thing against him. You know, there have been slightly different circumstances. You know, Pochettino was sacked before he could really give Ndombele a proper run. Jose played him a fair bit. Mason was only there very briefly. And with Nuno, he'd actually kind of got back into the team before Nuno was sacked himself. It's not always exactly the same, but if you take the last two and a half years as a whole, you can see a guy who's played a lot of games for the club, has shown a lot of glimpses of how incredibly gifted he is, and yet the fact you know the fact remains he hasn't put in... I mean, it's not just that he hasn't put in a string of very good performances, he hasn't really put in that many like proper 90 minute performances you know for he's I mean I think at the moment he's I think he's fitter than he has been in the past but for a long time he couldn't really do 90 minutes so put it all together and the body of work that he has produced as a Tottenham player frankly is nowhere near good enough given a the fact that he cost 55 million euros in 2019 and b the fact that he is one of the most gifted midfielders in Europe he just strikes me as I had a friend who used to just sort of talk about match of the day players, a player that you see on match of the day doing a wonderful pass or a wonderful goal. And you and because you don't watch that team every week or for their whole match every week, you think, oh my God, why why isn't this guy playing every minute of every game? And that's the thing with Ndombele. I remember moments from him over the last couple of years that were fantastic. Was it the goal against Sheffield United yeah, away? Yeah. Which was like unbelievable. There was some really good passes when they, I think he played it. Did he play in the 6-1 at Old Trafford um, as well? He was fantastic. But in terms of real performances where he's absolutely dominated a midfield in the way that we were maybe told that he was going to when he arrived, that's not, that's not happened. Is there a market for him at the moment? Is it going to have to be, does he have to, they have to send him out on loan to rediscover some value? for him and is there any chance his relationship with Conte can recover from her? Well, I think it's going to be very, very difficult to get rid of him. You know, Tottenham have tried in the past to get rid of him. They Back in the summer, the start of this season, Ndombele came back for pre-season, said that he wanted to leave. Nuno didn't pick him until the situation was resolved. Tottenham tried really hard to find him a move and there weren't enough, you know, they couldn't find a taker for him. Is that because of their price tag or is that because of his salary? Uh, so he's on £200,000 a week, which is difficult to, you know, the, the thing is he signed in the summer of 2019 just before COVID and the, the yeah. football marketplace has completely changed in the course of that last two and a half years and that you know it was probably a it wasn't a it wasn't a bad deal to do at the time but now it's a very difficult player to move and you know Tottenham have tried to find movers they you know and Dombele himself thought that he could get a move to Real Madrid Barcelona Bayern and you know Bayern were interested but it didn't happen big you know big teams in Italy have had a look at him but they're not quite they're not quite sure enough not of the money that he would command and yeah, he. I think he would like to go, and Tottenham would certainly love to love to find a good move for him. But that's a really easy thing to say, and a really, really difficult thing to do in twenty twenty two. 
What do you think they'd take for him? Well, they're not going to get... I mean, I, I, don't, I don't think they're going to sell him. I'd be surprised simply because they'd be selling him at a huge loss. I think they would rather loan him, try to get him to you know, rebuild some of his value, show what a talented player he is. But you've still got to, fi- you've still got to make the loan deal happen. And this is something they have not been able to do so far. I'm sure that Paratici will be trying very hard this month to find a club that he can go to, maybe in France, maybe in Spain, maybe in Italy. But I'm not optimistic. I'll believe it when I say it. Has the price tag been a problem for him, do you think, at Tottenham, in how, in what Tottenham fans expect of him? Maybe. maybe because is, like, is there a greater expectation on him than... Lo Celso? Lo Celso, yeah. for, for example. I think that is true because, you know, Tottenham are not... A, they're not a team who spend 50 million on players. So it's a kind of one-off for them and it hasn't worked. I th- but I think also the, the fact of his talent has counted against him as well in the sense that you watch this guy and you see he can do things that nobody else can do with the football. And that makes it doubly frustrating for Spurs fans that he can't produce what they would expect him to do compared to, you know, frankly, less talented players like, I don't know, Musa Sissoko, Harry Winks, whoever, who do put in a lot more work on the pitch. There is maybe also another counter-argument that since he's arrived at the club, the club has slumped overall. You know, good managers have, have failed at Spurs over the last couple of years. A number of players have had periods of really poor drop-offs in form as well, you know, whether it's Harry Winks, Deli Ali, Harry Kane at different times as well. There is sometimes, I think, as well, maybe a need to factor in just the overall culture and environment of, of a workplace that has an impact on new people coming into it um, and how successful they're able to be. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I certainly think that one of the stories of the last few years, as Spurs have got, well, two big managerial appointments wrong in Mourinho and Nuno, is that they have that they have failed to get the most out of the players who they brought in during that time. You know, since 2019, they signed Ryan Sessegnon as well as Lacelso and Dombele. Uh, they signed Stephen Bergwin as well in January 2020. Four really talented players who, for a combination of reasons, some of them injury, some of them the change of manager, haven't really worked out as signings. Now, you can, you know, you can blame the individuals for that. You can say it's bad luck with injuries. But when it keeps happening to that many players, it suggests that Tottenham has not been a place over the last three years for young, talented players to flourish, unfortunately. And that's why I think, while I think Ndombele has to bear the brunt of the responsibility for what's happened to him, I also, I mean, I, I do agree with you that the changes haven't helped and maybe in an alternative world in which, let's say, Pochettino had been allowed to stay and rebuild the team and rebuild with Ndombele and improve Ndombele, maybe we'd be in a different position today. You mentioned Harry Winks there, who's gone backwards over, over previous managers. Is he now part of a first-choice midfield under Antonio Conte, or as close as he's been, actually, in the last couple of years, probably. Yeah, not quite, but almost. So I I think Conte's first-choice team is probably still the 3-4-3 with Hoiberg and Skip in the middle. That said, Winks is starting more often for Conte now, and Conte's spoken really, really positively about him. In, in stark contrast to Ndombele, just in a press conference the other week, he was saying that Winks is someone I can rely on, he's someone I can count on, he's proven how valuable he can be, he works hard. And this is a big turnaround because you know, Winks was very much on the outside under Mourinho, even more on the outside under Nuno. If it hadn't been for Conte coming in, I think a lot of people would have expected him to be on the market this January. Uh, but now he's played his way back into a future at the club. 
and is really showing what we last haven't really seen since Pochettino, which is the fact that he is a very talented, hardworking player. He's not perfect at everything, nobody is, but I think there's a lot of a huge amount of upside to his game. And I think a lot of Spurs fans who I think have been on Winks's back a bit over the last few years and now kind of coming back round to being enthusiastic about him. I uh, saw sort of, um, the interview he did after the Southampton game. Um, I think it was on Amazon. And he was basically just asked, you know, since Conte's come in, what's he done differently for you? Has he given you different instructions? And Winks just said, no, he's just given me a chance. Yeah. Which is sometimes quite revealing because I think we always have these like big ideas about, oh, he must be giving you a hundred different instructions. He's completely changed your game. And sometimes for a player, it's simply about making someone feel important and valued. And clearly that I think that's been a change under Conte for Winks. That is the absolute opposite of how Winks felt under Nuno. You know, Winks was one of those players who was in the infamous second eleven team which lost to Vitesse Arnhem in Holland and afterwards gave that interview where he looked to completely distraught, saying, you know, this is meant to be like a competitive football team and we're you know, effectively saying we're just the second eleven and that means we know we've got no chance to play on the weekends. And he and that's one thing that Nuno did really badly was managing like the kind of in players and the out players, whereas Winks is now very much, you know, part of the in group. He's not playing in every game, he's playing quite a bit. And hopefully this will be good news for him over the course of the next year and beyond. Any players coming in this January? Well well, at the moment, it's difficult because there's not a huge amount of money to spend. I mean, if they could move in Dombele, then suddenly everything becomes a bit easier. Or oh, uh, bring in about six. Yeah. Did a story last week about Adama Traore. So Traore mm. is a player who they tried to get under Nuno. They kind of agreed a loan deal with Wolves, which Wolves kind of pulled out of at the last minute. I think they're going to go back in for Adama this month. Conte's idea is to retrain him as a wing-back, a bit like he did with Victor Moses at Chelsea five years ago. Uh, it's possible they might send Matt Doherty back to Wolves as part of that deal, but I'm not not 100% sure on that at the moment. So that that's the plan, although at the moment, you know, they they could do with selling some players or finding some money. Just sorry, not to reopen the sort of the story of last summer, but Harry Kane is that just is that done now at Spurs for good? Yeah, that's my expectation. I mean, I suppose I suppose it's possible that Manchester City might have a change of heart and think even though we're playing the best football we've ever played without a striker, let's go and buy one anyway. But I think I don't think City particularly enjoyed the saga with Kane and and Tottenham over the course of last summer. I don't think they would particularly want to try and do it again. Um, so I would probably not expect City to come back in. And on a longer term view, I would wouldn't be that surprised if Kane wound up signing a new Tottenham contract maybe towards the end of this season. But that look, that's a long way off. It's not it's not kind of imminent at the moment certainly. That's it. Thanks very much for listening. You can subscribe to The Athletic and get a 33% discount by heading to theathletic.com slash football pod. The Athletic are also recording daily transfer shows at the moment, bringing you exclusive news and insights on any deals during the January window. And the only place you can hear these podcasts is on The Athletic app. The only place you can hear those podcasts is on The Athletic app or by subscribing to The Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts and you can start your free trial Today, uh, I'll see you Thursday with the Business of Sport pod. The Athletic.